The idea is not that you just come and you gain knowledge. And it's like, oh, I'm really smart on Bible stuff. That doesn't cut it. Teaching them to observe. That there's this idea that in the teaching, if you come to Mountain View Church and receive teaching, there's an expectation that you want to, that you're going to observe it, that you're going to become more like Jesus. That as a follower of Jesus, you're not just a person who knows about Jesus, you're a person that's on a journey to become like Jesus. You're listening to Mountain View Church Audio. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Each week, we bring you a fresh message designed to help you encounter Jesus through biblical instruction. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. We're just glad you're here. Exodus 39. We're going we're gonna to kind of read through Exodus 39 and 40, but we're kind of skipping around a little bit, hit some major, major themes here. So let's start with Exodus 39, and we're going to start with 1 to 5. So it says this, From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and the scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges and skillfully woven, uh, sorry, and the skillfully woven band on it was, the, was of one piece with it, excuse me, and made like it of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now roll down to verse 32. It says this, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And then down in Exodus 42, uh, 39, 42, it says, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Roll into chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set, it, set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Now uh, jump to 40 verse 32. It says this, When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Moses has come to the end of a long journey. Uh, he was born a Hebrew slave, but he was raised as Egyptian royalty. He, he fled Egypt to live in peace, to be called back by God to embrace conflict. As we've unpacked Moses' story, as we've over, overviewed Exodus, uh, we've seen how Exodus is a constant pointer. Moses' life is a constant pointer to Jesus. Moses' call to bring earthly freedom to God's people ultimately points to Jesus providing freedom from sin's bondage. And Moses' call to bring the covenant of law to God's people points to Jesus bringing a new covenant of grace to everyone, to all people. And finally, the cons- Moses' call to construct a temporary dwelling place for God that God's people could meet with points to Jesus coming and providing a way that all people could become the dwelling place of God. Today we kind of come to the end of our summer, we come to the end of our summer series in Exodus, overviewing Exodus, but we also come to the end of this uh, kind of a three-part mini-series, Contributions and Construction, uh, speaking about the, temp- the tabernacle, excuse me, and uh, Clayton Francis from uh, Teaching Elder at UConn Bible Fellowship, he opened things up with contributions and talking about generosity. And then last week we talked about the construction of the tabernacle. And today we see that, that Moses' work was finished. He had had this long, long journey of work that really, <clears throat> his work kind of started at birth. Uh, he, he, the journey of his life that, that God specifically chose him, chose him to be this transitional leader transition Israel from slavery and that eventually they would get to the point where they have a dwelling place for God, a place to worship before they enter into the promised land. And verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 33 says, Moses finished the work. And, uh, you know, before that in 39, it says, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. All the people of Israel had to do something. They were all working on this giant project. But, but Moses finished the work. And this is a call of leadership that happens. Sometimes God chooses certain people to accomplish a bigger task. It doesn't mean that they as an individual do every single detail. That's actually not it. We, we learned in this, in this kind of mini-series, Contribution and Construction, that Bezalel and Aholiab these were two kind of engineers, one of the tabernacle, one of the clothing, and they had people working under them. So this transitional leader, Moses, has so many other leaders underneath him, and everyone is, is skilled in doing their part. But it says Moses finished the work. Well, we've, we look at Moses, and, and here he is at this point, he's finished his work, and, and we know from Scripture that Aaron would now become the high priest. He'd become the spiritual leader, and, and there's, a, there's a part of me that really is like, man, I, I kind of feel like it should have been given to Moses. 
Like, remember Aaron? He was the guy that built that idol, <laughs> and he built an altar to the idol. Like, he, he full-on led idolatry in the people. Really? He's the guy we're going to allow high priest? At that moment, couldn't we have said, you know, God, this guy maybe was going to have a chance, but he's not going to make the cut. You know, Moses should do it. He's our man. He's our guy. Jewish and Christian scholars and, and many even outside of, the, of those two faiths believe that Moses and the writings about Moses was one of the greatest leaders to ever walk this earth. Surely he could have done it. And let's face it, maybe Moses, if he weren't so humble, could say, look, God, I've done it already. I, I've got a lot of stuff. I know Aaron helped me talk to Pharaoh, but kind of I've been doing all this. I was the one that actually went up to the mountain and received your word. Surely I'm far more qualified to be high priest than Aaron is. I should probably take this role and that, that would be good. That sometimes maybe for us, like that could be a bit of a default. We did all the transitional work and now we got to hand it over to someone? What? Shouldn't, shouldn't we get to reap the rewards? Isn't that what it is? Now that, we, now that we got this thing set up, can't I coast for a little bit? We find by Deuteronomy, by Deuteronomy 31, we find that, that Moses actually transitions overall leadership to Joshua, and Joshua is the one that's going to end up leading Israel into the promised land. And yet, history books and biblical scholars talk about Moses, this guy that led Israel from nothing to something, and God used him in a transitional way. But theologians and Bible scholars also point to Moses, and they often refer to him as a type of Christ. And the reason is, is that, is that Moses' life, and specifically his transitional leadership, ultimately is just all pointing to Jesus. That, that one day a far greater leader is going to come to earth for a time fully God, fully man, and he's going to start something new and he's going to transition his earthly leadership onto fallen people, onto people like Aaron who didn't make the cut. And so we look at that. When we see Jesus, look at, look at John 19. John 19, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, about a third of the way through your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 19, pretty, pretty well-known passage in the Christian world. It's the moment right before Jesus gives up his spirit. And uh, in John 19, 28, it says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, there's actually a lot going on in this tiny little passage. So much of it actually points back to the Old Testament, points, points back to Moses. That, that as he finishes his work, it talks about now that he knows everything is finished, his ministry is finished, okay, his earthly ministry, before his death, he's going to rise again uh, in, three days later, and he's going to hand leadership over to the disciples. And, and so this is all going to happen. And, but before he does, it says, it says that there's this moment to fill scripture. He says, I thirst, and, 
and he's going to, to, to get some, uh, some sour wine or wine vinegar on a sponge on a hyssop branch. Why would they mention that? Well, for those of us that walk through this Exodus series, the, the hyssop branch was actually the branch that was dipped in the lamb's blood that went on the doorposts that actually prevented the angel of death from killing the firstborn in the Israel homes. That that hyssop branch, that as soon as it was a hyssop branch that, that was put on that sponge, that that is a pointer back. That Jesus is, is connecting as he's dying, as he's dying for the sin of the world, he's connecting things back to Jesus. And, and even to fulfill prophecy in Psalm, it says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. It, it's a pointer. And then the sour wine vinegar, talked about in number six. This is part of a, uh, of a Nazarite vow. Pointer to the Old Testament, pointer to the Torah that wine's always associated with blood and a sour wine, a vinegar wine, that this would be associating to sacrifice. That in that, the branch of the hyssop and the sour wine, this is the the sacrifice and the redemption in one, that simply by giving him a drink of sour wine vinegar from the type of branch, Jesus fulfilled scripture and pointed back to the Old Testament and says, there's a new thing happening that I'm transitioning things from an old covenant to a new covenant. But a little before that, Matthew's gospel talks to us about him handing off leadership, handing off spiritual leadership to a not-so-likely candidate. Peter was one of the disciples that was always getting himself in trouble he was impetuous and he talked and, and acted usually before thinking about it. And, and in Matthew 16, we see that there's this, this moment where Jesus is asking uh, Peter, saying, you know, who, who do people say I am? And, he, and, and Jesus, whole, or Peter, wholeheartedly, he's all in kind of guy. He's just like, you're the Lord, you're the Christ. You know, you're the Messiah. You're the one who's come to save the world. And, and Jesus responds saying, like, you, Peter, the rock, you on you, you're the rock in which I'm going to build my church. That I'm going to start this thing, this church, this living, breathing, and dwelling of God, and I'm going to start with you, Peter. And it was this amazing moment. But what's fascinating is a little down in the same chapter, Jesus is trying to talk about his sacrifice and his death, and, he, and he's trying to explain to his di- disciples the things that are going to happen. And, and Peter's just like, no chance, you know, not on my watch, Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen. And, and it's like, Peter, he, he's just been called saying, hey, he's going to be the, the start of the church, the foundation of it. And, and yet he's still, he's impetuous. And, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, come on, get a clue. If I don't die, how can there be sacrifice for sin? You, you don't know what you're talking about. Close your mouth, Peter. I need to call you to lead the church, but you need to shush. Think before you speak, Peter. And it gets worse because before Jesus died, he told Peter that he would deny him three times. <laughs> Peter didn't believe it, but he did. Three times after they arrested Jesus, people would recognize Peter. Hey, wait a second. That guy's a follower of Jesus. And he would say, no, no, it's not me. You you must be confused. Three times. 
and he, it broke him. His own terror, being, being, being afraid of being attached to the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't have courage. Really? Peter's going to be the one to lead the church, to be the rock of the church? Really? Shouldn't it be a more likely candidate that has a bit more bravery and courage? But a beautiful thing happens after Jesus' resurrection. He, he's on the beach with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? He's like, you know I love you. Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. And then a third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And, he, and Peter's like, Lord, you know, you're the Christ, I love you. He said, I would give my life to you. And he says, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus and three times Jesus reinstates him. It's beautiful. <laughs> Much like Moses transitioning spiritual leadership to the high priest Aaron, a guy who actually led Israel in idolatry, built the altars and the idols for him, that he would be the guy now to offer sacrifice on Israel's behalf? Really? In today's church world, would we give people those kind of chances? That kind of past? Would we give Peter a leadership chance? A guy like Peter, who's called to leadership, denies Jesus, and then gets another chance? I don't know. Maybe there's a pointer there to us that maybe we're all fallen, and none of us are perfect leaders. We're actually all imperfect and, and eventually, Jesus transitions leadership. Before he ascends to heaven, he, he, he transitions it to, to all people. He gives out the great commission. A lot of times around here, we call it the great mission. To go, therefore, into all the world, baptizing, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This concept that every disciple... Now, not just Peter, every disciple from that moment on, including if you have chosen to follow Jesus, that includes you. You're included in that. And so Jesus is speaking to you. It's not Jeremy, it's him. And he says, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all I command. And this is key, not just teaching them. The idea is not that you just come and you gain knowledge. And it's like, oh, I'm really smart on Bible stuff. That doesn't cut it. Teaching them to observe. That there's this idea that in the teaching, if you come to Mountain View Church and receive teaching, there's an expectation that you want to, that you're going to observe it. That you're going to become more like Jesus. That as a follower of Jesus, you're not just a person who knows about Jesus. You're a person that's on a journey to become like Jesus. But here's the transitional leadership part that's amazing about Jesus. Is, is though he leaves his earthly mission in our hands, there's a tag. It says, I am with you always. Because he sent the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And when we give our life to Jesus, he's still there. He's still with us. His power is still with us. And so it's transitionally, physically, but not spiritually. It's beautiful. Well, will we finish our work? This is a big question. Uh, a few years ago, the elders and I, we, we met on a retreat, and we really, we were looking at the year 2020. 
And we're asking God, what do you want us to become in 2020 as a church? What are you calling us to be? What are you calling us to fulfill? And through a lot of prayer and then some discussion and and trying to, as a group of men, trying to seek leadership from the Lord. And the Lord put a vision on our hearts. Vision 2020 to be an authentic, vibrant church serving and reaching our city. That we would be authentic people, real people with real problems, with real life, not perfect people. And that we would be vibrant that we would be a church that chooses joy and chooses to be passionate even when things aren't going that great. And that we would serve our city for the ultimate goal to reach our city with the gospel of Jesus. And this has been, this has been our goal, and we come back to it a couple times of year uh, in, in what we refer to as a vision breakfast where the elders and I get together, and we had one before I went on vacation a couple weeks ago. And I want to take a, take a moment to just share with you some of what, the God, what God told us in, uh, for 2019. You see, each year we know that God calls us to transition in a way. That, that as we go to reach Vision 2020, that there's things each year that God puts on our heart that says, you need to accomplish these things in order to ac- accomplish this thing. This is the journey. You're, you're in a transition, a transition to move Whitehorse Baptist of 2015 to, to Mountain View Church of 2020. This, we're in this transitional moment, and God has called the elders and I and the ministry leaders, the board, that this is a time of transition. And, will, and God is saying to us, will you do the work that we've called you to do to get there? And so we set some goals for 2019. The first, you saw a white rose. <laughs> There's a young man in Anchorage that isn't even a part of our youth group. Why did our youth group go to Anchorage? Maybe just for this young man. That it would be a situation where he would trust Adam, and Adam would be this young guy excited about the gospel, and he would just share the message of Jesus after the youth conference and be able to lead this young man to the Lord. His youth group wasn't going to the conference. His youth group in Anchorage wasn't going to a youth conference in Anchorage. So this youth group from 14, 15 hours away comes so that he can join us and, and he can come and eventually our youth intern leads him to the Lord. And, and we believe that, that God wants to continue that we be a people that shares the gospel in all facets of our ministry. And we don't care who comes to know Jesus or where they're from. We just want to secure and make sure that we make a commitment to the Lord that our church will be about sharing the gospel and moving people from darkness to light. Anyone who we come in contact with. Second, we, we feel the Lord talking to us about our communication to improve pastor-elder team communication. Specifically, the Lord's put on our heart with digital communication. It, it's become increasingly difficult as our church has grown Uh, that it's very easy, and I'm speaking to me uh, as much as anyone else, to write an email, a Facebook message, a text. But the the problem is, is that even though my heart is pure in it and I'm simply explaining something, the, the problem comes in digital communication these days is that inflection, for some reason, even with emojis, doesn't work that great. And, and so we, we get in these situations where someone sends us a long email or we send them a long email or vice versa or anything, and there's assumptions placed into every digital message. And we realize if we're to become an authentic, vibrant church, the best mode of authentic communication doesn't seem to be in just simple letter form. 
typed on a device. And so we believe that God wants us to call to, to either through face-to-face or verbal communication, us as a team, to communicate more with people, especially when there's emotion attached or there's, there's negative things or, or struggles in life that we, we, need to, we need to just pick up the phone and do it. And, and this is going to be encouragement to everyone in our congregation that, that as you interact with each other, don't. Just call. Ask them out for coffee. Buy their coffee. There's, it softens the blow of whatever needs to be said. And it's work. It's work. But it's for the gospel. So we feel it's important. The other thing is that uh, this is predominantly a project for me, but God's calling us to create a, a, nec- a next step discipleship pathway. That if people come to know Jesus or are new to our church, how, how do we unpack our statement of faith, what we believe? Why do we stand so firmly on a literal inter- interpretation of the Bible? Why do we only allow men to be elders and pastors? And why do we call men to be leaders in their home and in the church? What's the deal with that? What, all these different facets of Mountain View Church and our fellowship, the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists, how do we, how do we help people understand who we are bring them into the church and help them develop their discipleship journey also and how they can know the Bible better and become like Jesus. And so we want to start that in January 2019. And the last thing, the bit of transition, is exhorting all members to actively serve in ministry. At first we had the word encourage, but it wasn't really what God was calling us to. God was calling us to say, in order for you guys to become what I want you to be in 2020, the members and attenders of Mountain View Church, you've got to exhort them. And, and exhort them is, is this concept of call to action. You, you can't just say, hey, it would be really great if. It, it has to be a stronger message, that it has to be, this, this is a calling to follow Jesus, that you serve him in some capacity. That when you come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and you're gifted with gifts of the Spirit. And that if you're here at this time and gifted with those gifts, those are what we need as a church. Moreover, what our city needs. Our city needs you. And, and um, to sit in a worship service is not really a service to the Lord. Um, though I'm glad you're here. Very thankful you're here. The Lord is calling us as a leadership to say everyone needs to be serving and we, in order to fulfill our vision, in order to reach this city, we need everyone. And, and we, we need everyone to be using their gifts and to be serving in some capacity. You've been listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If God has used this message to impact your life today, I'd love to hear about it. Drop me a message at jeremy at mountviewwhitehorse.ca or on your favorite social network at Pastor Jeremy Norton. To get connected with Mountain View Church or to support Mountain View Ministries through a financial gift, please visit mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's mountainviewwhitehorse.ca.